This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. In this episode, we're focusing on the intersection of AI in insurance, an industry we've covered on many occasions here on the program. But we have a theme that we have yet to cover, which is specifically the compliance considerations in the insurance world. Obviously, insurance is a rather substantial portion of the financial services ecosystem, and they have their own regulatory rules to abide by. How should leaders take those rules into account as they adopt AI or even use AI to help deal with some of those regulatory requirements? Our guest this week is Pardeep Bassi. He is currently Global Proposition Leader of Data Science for WTW, better known by some as Willis Towers Watson, a publicly traded financial services firm based in the United Kingdom. He has previously held data science leadership positions at AXA, LV Insurance, and others. This week, Pardeep covers two different topics with us. Number one, what are some of the areas where regulation intersects with AI applications and insurance, and what do we need to do about that? Considerations around transparency, considerations around personal data use, where are the potential risks? And secondly, how might leaders take into account these regulatory rules when they think about how to adopt AI and insurance? This not only has to do with their approach to adopting AI and making sure that they avoid setting off any triggers here for regulatory or compliance rules, but also potentially being able to use AI to address them. There's a lot to dive into in this episode, and Pardeep does a good job of giving us a lay of the land. And hope that no matter what industry you operate in, if you are dealing with regulatory or compliance considerations, this will give you maybe food for thought in terms of your own strategic approach to AI adoption. This episode is brought to you by Smarsh and is part of a broader series on AI applications for compliance and communications intelligence. Stick around to the end of the episode and I'll mention a bit more about that. So without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Pardeep with WTW here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Pradeep, welcome to the program. Glad to have you here. Hi, Dan. Really looking forward to our conversation today. You bet. We've got some unique topics to intersect with, and they have to do with a combination of factors that are all of interest for our audience. That is, uh, in this episode, insurance regulation and AI. I think some people are aware of some of the insurance AI use cases out there, but might not really know where regulatory and compliance issues sort of fit into the mix. At sort of a high level, what is your take or how do you like to explain, I guess, the, the relevance of that intersection? I think we should really start with where the insurance industry is in its adoption of AI. Yeah, let's um, do it. And then, then, then lead into the, the regulatory side. So AI is a tool which insurance is absolutely set for. So insurance is a data-rich industry. It's been using data via statistics and actuarial techniques for a long time to extract value, to understand risk primarily and make subsequently other decisions around customers and other operational decisions. So what we've seen recently is there's been more and more of an appreciation that machine learning in particular and AI in general gives insurers that sort of market-leading advantage over competitors to extract the most value and provide the best service possible to customers. So there's been a massive increase in, in the adoption of AI. And at the same time, insurance is a highly regulated industry and, and you need to understand where there is an overlap of the two. But there's, there's a clear distinction, which is regulation in specific focus relevant to AI versus general regulation within the insurance space. And I think the reason I'm really focusing on this, Dan, in particular, is have the insurance industry asked the question about the processes pre-AI, which were human judgment-based 
and focused, whether they're happy with the fairness and the transparency of those decisions, and then the potential bias in humans. And the reason I, I make this point is AI is, is it's a tool and you've got to understand its strengths and weaknesses. But the human judgment, which is made, is, is equally as open for bias and, 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 and unfair judgment. Yeah. So almost kind of two sides of things. There's regulation and insurance at a high level, and then there's the particular concerns of algorithms. And I guess, as you had mentioned, bias can exist in machines or in brains. Exactly. Yeah. And going slightly deeper in terms of the algorithm piece, algorithms are usually bit built off of existing data or previous experiences, and, and you use that data to try to predict the future. So if you've previously made those decisions using human judgment, you may already have a element of bias in the data that you've collected. So before you even start the modeling process, you need to understand what existing bias exists in the data you have. And this is why I focused in on there's a human element as well as just the machine element, which you need to start off with. Um, but where the, where, the, where the real advances, which I'm seeing in the, in the industry, is at the second stage is actually during the model build. So there could be introduction of bias or potentially even the reduction of bias, depending on which algorithm you take to build your predictive model. And what I'm seeing more and more so is there's an additional focus on specific types of algorithms, which actually reduce bias during the model build phase. So this is a perfect example of where you understand the advantage and disadvantages of different types of algorithms, then you actually tailor it and you use it as a tool to remove bias. So almost spin the concern on its head and say, we could use machine learning and AI to actually remove bias from our processes. Yeah. And some of that, I mean, obviously, Pradeep, some of that is going to have to do with what data do we permit or not permit uh, to be used here? What are we giving the algorithm access to? But it sounds like from what you're saying, just from a pure algorithm selection standpoint, there are algorithms more or less prone to bias. And, and this is really touchy and kind of funky because, of course, there are certain kinds of bias that are perfectly fine, and we wouldn't even call them bias because they would just be conclusions from the data. Um, and then there's other kinds of bias that would get prickly, and you know they'd look at like a really bad press release, and maybe they would be very unfair to people in a way that's legitimate. So it, it's a little prickly to kind of pick apart what is bias, what are the parts that are going to make us jump and go, <gasps> bias, and then what are the parts where it's like, yeah, I don't know, that's the conclusion of the machine, that's perfectly fine. It, exactly. So you, you almost have to think about this without the machine learning AI element and say, what are we as um, an industry comfortable in doing? And what, what do we, what parameters do we want to operate within? So once we've understood that as an industry, we can then say, well, this tool helps me do this or this tool doesn't. And what's the most appropriate tool for what we're after? And I think it's that understanding and actual appreciation for understanding and the transparency of the decisions you're making, both at a local and a global level to say, this is the decision which is being made. And this is why it's being made. Am I comfortable in it? The other aspect, Dan, which is which is worth remembering here is that the actual problem of insurance is, is interesting because there will always be an element of bias because what you're looking to do in most cases with insurance is get a better understanding of risk. So what you're almost trying to do is, is segment the population almost down to an individual level or an organization or entity that you're insuring and say, I can understand your risk better than anybody better relative to, to my competitors. So if you can understand people at an individual level, there will naturally be an element of bias within the process of insurance. 
Yeah, I mean, well, it kind of feels that way. I mean, no matter how you slice it, right? You're a 21 year old male, you have a red sports car, we're going to score you differently, right? It just is what it is. But then there's there's other kinds of things, if you're something other than male, maybe, or other various and sundry factors where, by golly, if we start treating you differently, press releases would be really, really bad. But I, I like your general advice. I know we're going to get into examples here, but your advice around we almost have to look at this outside of AI and say, what are we comfortable with? You know, What fits with our values? What fits within the law? I actually think that many of the best sort of successful AI deployments involve thinking about it from a better human standpoint, coming up with better categories, coming up with how we wish the decisions were made today. That zooming out is actually a lot of the value of AI is, can we make sure we're we're setting our map and our landscape correctly. So I would totally second that bit of advice. Obviously, a lot to consider when it comes to bias and a lot to consider in different particular parts of insurance. I know that one of the examples you wanted to dive into was around some new regulation, this FAIR regulation in the UK. I'm not as aware of the UK specific regulation. So I'd love to tee up what this FAIR paradigm and law set sort of is, and then maybe give us a bit of an idea as to where AI might fit into the mix there. So there's been been a number of regulatory changes um, within the UK and EU, and um, I'll, I'll run through a few which which have come and and gone, and the most recent one which you've just mentioned. So I think when I started insurance about ten years ago, the biggest headline grabber was the EU Gender Directive, which was you had to price males and females or treat males and females equally. So there was a huge effort at that stage to almost understand how can we do that as part of our modeling while still keeping the same predictive power. So many insurers at that time, especially within the pricing space, decided to remove the individual factor from a explanatory variable from their from their models and let the models try to pick up that same male and gender effect as long as when they made the prediction and they changed the changed the input from a male to female, that it would give you the same result. So that's one example of where there was a specific regulatory change in the EU adopted by the UK as well, being part of the EU at that time, where there was an actual direct consequence of um, a regulatory change on the approach taken to statistical modeling. And it was actually easier to understand what you were doing and be in line with the regulatory requirements as well as your profitability requirements by using machine learning and AI as a tool. So having to do that manually without machine learning and AI as a tool would have been very, very difficult. But I think I really want to go back to the, the point you made before about the potential damage in, in the press around yes. potential uh, unfair bias processes. But I think we as an industry need to take a step back and say our public image is very important. And so is our brand. But it's that understanding of regulation with what's, what's the actual reason and the intention for the regulation rather than just how do we adhere to it maximize our profitability i think if you really go that one level deeper and say what's the reason what's the, what's the regulation actually trying to do and then design your processes with the right principles and motives behind it i think that puts you in a much better position and i think the latest one which you mentioned which was all around fair renewal pricing in the uk which yeah. was yeah can you explain that because yeah. I, I think our audience might not you're obviously you live deep in this world in the mm. uk specifically can you just tee up what these changes are for context Definitely, definitely. So in effect, it means you have to, as an insurer, you have to offer the same price at new business if you've got a brand new quote as you would to a renewing customer. So you can't penalize a customer for being loyal to you. So 
that quite a quite a standard process for many insurers in the UK was was a process of price walking where you'd almost write your new business at a slight loss and then increase the price over time to for loyal customers to balance out that loss at year one with profitability during the lifetime of, of that yeah, customer. Okay. So that was almost not quite right for the customer if you, if you think about it from a, a fairness perspective and hence the, hence why the regulators stepped in and enforced that as a change on the market. And that again was a, a, a perfect example of how can we then use the tools, machine learning and AI, to help meet the requirements set by the regulators? So having the tools of your disposal or building models in an automated manner allowed you to make changes and set your prices at quite an efficient manner and, and almost create a whole new rate book quite quickly and, and fully understand its implications on this new regulatory standard being enforced. Um, so. That again, machine learning and AI is a tool there to help you meet the regulatory changes. Got it. So, and, and can you go a little bit into where AI fits in in meeting those changes? I mean, I could imagine AI running various and sundry simulations of a million permutations of price testing and what have you, and maybe be able to identify which of them break the rule versus which of them don't break the rule. And then that generative process might help us develop a more profitable general strategy that's still going to actually fit the bill in terms of, of not breaking any regulatory rules. But where does this fit in? That's just my imagination. When you look at where AI might help with staying in line mm. with this regulation, what, what does that look like for you? So in effect, if you think about it from a insurer's perspective, they have segments of risk that they may have written previously, which they call their back book, their renewal book. So what AI and machine learning could be used in this circumstance is to understand what best price to charge a customer with the constraint that the new business and renewal price has to be the same to almost keep as many customers as possible, but still have a reasonably competitive price for new business. Yeah. So depending on the segment that you have as your back book and at quite a granular level, you could use machine learning and AI to help you determine what price to set to meet the business requirement as well as the regulatory requirement of having enough repeat customers, loyal customers, as well as right new business. So that's a perfect example of where it, it is almost like an optimization problem Yeah, um, where you can use machine learning as, as a tool to help you. Got it. Okay. Yep. So this opens up a way for, again, AI, not just to increase profitability here, but in this case, to actually make sure that we're doing that in line with new rules that have kind of come over our you know, come into the industry at large. I can imagine that similar things might happen for all kinds of changes. I mean, I can imagine there there will be new laws around, you know, you mentioned the gender fairness there. You mentioned, you know, this this new FAIR Act, etc. I presume whenever these new changes happen, it might become the norm at some point for companies to be forced to adapt by coming up with a bajillion permutations of exactly how this new regulation affects their business. And then being able to pick among the ones that, that they believe are really best for them. And maybe AI would play an important part there. Exactly. And not, not only that, I think that the rate of which additional regulations are going to come into play are only going to increase. So it's your ability to adapt and be flexible and come up with a new set of prices or predictions for various uses. It's, it's that ability to change and adapt, which AI and machine learning is a facilitator for. Not only that, I think uh, the, the, the huge regulation which we we seem to have, um, I seem to have just overlooked, uh, not intentionally, is um, GDPR. Yes, um, within, yes, yes. 
EU. And I think there's one particular element of that which I want to spend a bit of time on, which is the transparency piece. So with most insurance algorithms and most insurance problems, um, you, you always have to balance interpretability with predictiveness. What the GDPR regulation states is one component of it does state that you need to be able to explain your decision to the customer. And, and that can be interpreted in many ways. But one way is what are the most important influencing factors which have helped the insurer make a certain decision about yourself? So you really do need to choose the right type of algorithm which allows you to answer that question and provide that service to your customer. At the same time, it needs to be predictive enough for you to remain competitive and profitable. Yeah. And this is where I see bespoke algorithms being developed with insurance needs in mind, where you keep all the predictive power, but because you've tailored how the model fits, you introduce an, an element of transparency and interpretability. So you can understand, you can keep the transparency and, and understanding of a more simplistic algorithm, but the, the same predictive power of some of the more complex ones. Without giving away too much detail, yeah. here at WTW, we, we have developed custom algorithms to meet this demand. This is where I see the future of insurance and AI and ethics and regulation all overlapping to, to really push the bounds, which is custom AI algorithms to meet insurance needs with a specific focus on the ethics and regulatory element. Yeah optimized for that particular problem space. I mean, you kind of opened us up with this a little a little bit, but I could imagine, and I know that, you know, as, as long as five years ago, this was a major concern. The, the black box problem continues to be a problem across regulated spaces. FinServe, Healthcare, LifeSci, where, where we play around a lot, certainly major, major problem for them to not know why is this patient being recommended this treatment or why is... Uh, you know, this trade being recommended for, for this massive amount of resources, whatever the case may be. In this particular circumstance, what you're getting at is, yeah, how can we optimize for the outcome, the decision around risk that's best for us in a way that still could be drawn down to a certain set of reasons for the particular decision? Maybe you can tee up why this is a problem. I think some folks who are not as familiar with, with deep learning and AI and, and ML may not really know why that's an issue, but is it generally the case that whatever performs best on a certain optimization problem will be deep, will be convoluted, will be very hard to untangle and understand? Like, is, is that sort of how ML used to be in insurance or how ML is naturally? Talk, talk to us about why that's actually a challenge to make interpretability work. So I think we, we, we've got to start with the sort of traditional actuarial techniques, which have been in, around in insurance for, for quite some time now, generalized linear models. So they are very, very interpretable by their nature and their design, and they're reasonably predictive. And the, the shift we've seen in, in more recent times is more of a move towards tree-based models. So a lot of XGBoost and various other algorithms, which a tree-based model can be thought of as multiple, multiple if statements. So it could get very complicated very quickly. You go down very deep into multiple combinations of um, splitting your population to better understand your risk in effect. So this is where you, you, you allow the algorithm itself to decide where to create those splits. And then it gets very, very complex if you try to understand something on an individual predictive basis. But what you can do is you can 
if you if you if you take a combination of your need to interpret as well as keep the predictive power you can you can create a balance in in terms of what type of splits and when those splits occur so i'm, I'm trying to be purposely careful here dan not to yeah. give away too much IP, oh, of course but, yeah um, yeah of course of course but but it, there's a it gets very complicated quickly and then if you go into deep learning that's even more complex in terms of trying to be in, in interpret the models and there is a certain type of algorithm a certain approach you take which gives you a certain amount of interpretability and yes there are other techniques to approximate some of the interpretable elements but it's not exact correlation which you get so i think you do have to balance the choice for predictive power and interpretability yeah and, and hence the market for and the innovative efforts around including where where you are custom models that control for both and that that aim to to strike at the best of both worlds i know we had talked off microphone about the relevance of this issue of transparency for fraud talk to us a little bit about where that intersects because obviously compliance you know makes its way into what we say yes or no to in terms of underwriting and then compliance also fits into analyzing what do we actually want to pay out or not um where does that intersection happen so i think fraud is interesting for two reasons the first is if you think about it take a step back you you're trying to predict fraud before it happens that's the absolute ideal so for example if a customer performs a certain type of activity customer entity or or any anything that may be fraudulent you have to be able to predict the fraud before it happens but you always you need to understand wh- why because you, you almost you, you have before you stop the fraud you, you you have to can you imagine a situation where almost like a minority report situation where yes. you know somebody's about to commit a crime or fraud before it happens you need to be pretty sure that that that, that you, you you're making that judgment on on sound basis yeah um, yeah so it's it's a it's a interesting ethical problem where you're predicting something before it happens and you need to be sure enough in yourself in terms of what the drivers of that are to be happy with that as a, as a decision but also interesting point in fraud is um, quite often you, you you do have a human in the loop as many operational type decisions and if you are suggesting to a fraud handler or somebody working in your fraud team that this this may be a potential for fraud they as an individual also need to be confident enough as to why that decision's been made and what so what's the biggest drivers behind it yeah yeah i guess go into the importance of that or what that workflow looks like if we could so i think well let's describe one one particular workflow so a customer makes a claim that claim could be fraudulent or not but that fraud may occur partway through the claim or at the very beginning. And you have certain information throughout that process and you feed that information into your model and you flag that to the person investigating the claim or or a potential claim to investigate to the fraud team. That fraud team then needs to have confidence in, in why that particular case has been flagged just from a an understanding perspective and so they can apply their human judgment on top as well yeah. because there are several occasions where it's the model plus the human which gives you the best outcome because the models can't pick up every type of Certainly. Um, effect Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. so i think it's, it is that 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 latter point the reason why if you bring the two together and the fraud handler understands this claim has been flagged as fraudulent because this individual has is 
associated with this type of behavior and and they performed that type of behavior which has previously been seen to be fraudulent and, and it's just just bringing all of that together which which gives that confidence got it so yeah and, and super common i'm sure for some of our listeners they'll be aware many many of these workflows and i'm sure uh, pradeep you could kind of back this up whether it's underwriting whether it's fraud maybe there are circumstances at low price points or under certain conditions where we basically have a 99.99% certainty that you know we're not going to underwrite this or that this is blatant fraud for a hundred reasons, in which case maybe it's going to go straight over to the fraud folks. But a lot of the times we're looking at big dollar values. We're looking at complicated products. We're looking at basically giving it a fraud score. And as you had said, appending some context information and then having a human sort of make the call because not all of the info can just be drawn from, from what's on the page. So it sounds like that's kind of what you're articulating there. It is. And I think you, you, you raised a very, very important hot topic at the moment which is all around model uncertainty and i know that's not the topic we're covering here yes, but yeah. um, this is a, this is an example of why model uncertainty is such a hot focus for for a lot of people in the industry at the moment and that's why a lot of research is being performed in this area because models make predictions but they make predictions based off of what they've seen and there's certainty around each of those predictions and if you have a better understanding of where a model is more or less certain that could influence the workflow, as you as you said. Yep. And so just to kind of close the loop on, on this in kind of a fraud sense, you touched on being able to potentially detect fraud from the outset. Now, where I would imagine this would fit in from a regulatory standpoint is, you know, what we wouldn't want as an insurance company in terms of, you know, moral reasons, our own values, or in terms of regulatory consequences for any of the above, doesn't matter which of the three, we wouldn't want to do is have these models of detecting fraud maybe overly put weight on certain factors. I can imagine race and gender are probably the hot ones. Maybe you can identify some other ones for you. I don't think they would really care if you biased against short people. I don't think there's like a there's anything about that. But I know there's, there's other things that are super extra prickly, right? So the presumption is when when something's being underwritten, you know, we're trying to detect will this turn into fraud? Is this something somebody's signing up for that will maybe transmute itself into fraud or is likely to do so? from a regulatory standpoint, is really what we're trying to do is make sure that those Crickley's topics, you know, that I just mentioned there are not part of that decision whatsoever. Is that really what the regulatory concern is here? Or would you word that in a different way? So I think it, it is, a, is a concern. And I, I think we, we, we would all feel difficult in knowing that race or gender or ethnicity or disability have been used in, in a predictive model, no matter how predictive they are there is a sense of unease because we know it's not not quite right. So I think the the regulation around those sensitive features inputs are rightly there. But I think we, we also need to keep in mind that just because you don't use those features directly, they could be proxied by where yes, you live yes. um, and, and various other things. And it's the question then becomes, how do you measure that? And then how do you circumvent that um, within the predefined parameters as we started at the very beginning? of where what you're ethically happy about doing as an almost like an organizational level what's, what's the principles we work to and what are we happy to do so i think we've almost done a full loop here and gone yeah, back to yeah 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 john gone to the very start of the, of the podcast that's it okay got it so yeah as you'd mentioned so and this is i think important to clarify for the audience i want to nutshell this you know what are the elements of regulatory and kind of compliance around fraud that are critical 
there is sort of, is this thing going to turn into fraud? Which is in part, I guess we could call an underwriting problem, but it crosses and crosses over with, with detecting fraud. And there, we don't want to be taking into account certain kinds of data that would be illegal or violate our values. And we also don't want to be maybe proxying for those factors, maybe, you know, a, a, a race or gender, what have you, that by other things, you know, zip code very, you know, quite notoriously correlates pretty well to certain racial factors, depending on where you live. Certainly, that's an issue in the United States as well. I can imagine in the UK, it's the same. If I'm hearing you correctly, just to, again, make it full circle, when something is flagged as fraud, I imagine there is the same concern. So on the back end, when something is put in front of an analyst, we also want to make sure that it's not being flagged, especially because this person is gender X, or especially because they might be race Y. I, I imagine it's it's the same kind of regulatory sticking point on the back end as on the front end, if I'm hearing you right. I think that's a very good way to put it, Dan. Cool. Okay. Excellent. Nice. So that, that does bring us full circle, and there was a lot to cover here. So I think for those of the folks that are tuned in, I certainly learned a thing or two about the UK market specifically, but I think there's a lot of lessons here just around where regulatory decision-making and finance occurs across the board. And there's been a lot to pick up on. Pradeep, I sincerely appreciate you being able to take the time and join us on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. It was a great conversation. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Pardeep for being able to join us, and thank you to you for listening all the way through to the very end of this episode. Over the course of the last six to nine months, not only has the show grown, I've mentioned many times, this is now our ninth month, over 100,000 downloads a month, so thank you, our listeners, for being able to be part of that growth here in the show. But also, we've mentioned our social handles at the end of the show more frequently in the last nine months, and many of you are now following us on Twitter and LinkedIn and joining the conversation there as well. If you want to stay ahead of not only our podcast interviews, but our latest frameworks, articles, and AI use cases, be sure to follow us on social as well. It's at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook. I mentioned this episode was brought to you by Smarsh. This is part of a broader series on AI for compliance and communications intelligence purposes, again, sponsored by Smarsh. If you're interested in AI and financial services or just in dealing with compliance or communications intelligence topics with AI, stay tuned every Thursday and you'll hear the rest of this special series. So thanks to Smarsh for supporting this series and thanks to you, our listener, for being here tuned in. I look forward to catching you in our next episode next Tuesday here on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>